Hello, I'm Jeremy McMahon, meditation teacher, Tibetan Buddhist scholar, and audio engineer. And welcome to Meditating with Friends, a podcast where we explore meditation through friendly conversation. Each episode includes a guided meditation that you are invited to join. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in working with me one-on-one to help deepen your meditation practice, send me a message on Instagram at Jeremy McMindfulness. Now, enjoy the show. Hey gang, it's your friend, uh, Jeremy McMindfulness here, um, introducing this week's very special episode of Meditating with Friends. Uh, this week we talked to Kayla Glazer, who uh, works at is, blah, 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 works in visitor services at the Rubin Museum of Art, a museum of Himalayan art um, based in New York City. Uh, and of course, it's no secret that I used to work at the Rubin Museum of Art, uh, and Kayla and I worked very closely together. And uh, we, we actually uh, help run a free uh, senior uh, meditation program. Um, that was one of the projects that we worked on together at that museum. And uh, so I really appreciate and respect uh, Kayla's deep knowledge for Buddhism and uh, her experience with it, as you will soon hear. Uh, so what did we talk about this week? Well, we talked about uh, psychedelics a bit. Uh, we also talked about Kayla's experience as a second-generation uh, American Western Buddhist. So her parents uh, converted to Buddhism, and she was actually raised Buddhist. Uh, so it's really interesting to hear her perspective on that. Um, and then what's also really exciting this week is that she uh, actually leads the meditation. Uh, and so mixing things up a little bit. So it's not just me droning on about my meditations, but yeah, I think it's a really fantastic conversation. A lot of great insights in this one. So stick around, check it out. No, you're going to love it. Yeah, we should be going. Uh, so, hey, Kayla. Hey, Jeremy. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Welcome to Meditating with Friends, where uh, everybody meditates. Um <laughs> It is what day? Today's the 18th, and we mm -hmm. we were just talking about uh, how we've had a fresh new snowstorm here in New York, and how the only people that come to museums um, in snowstorms in uh, New York generally are Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's where we're starting mm -hmm. off. So I guess uh, Kayla, we can talk about uh, so. I gave it away. You work in a museum, but why don't you tell us about what museum you work at and what you do there? Sure. So, um, like some of the other people on this podcast, I think I met Jeremy <laughs> working at the Rubin Museum. We worked there together and I'm still there now. Uh, Jeremy taught me a lot about leading tours, working with audio, and that's what I do now. I work in visitor experience. So, there's a big shift now to what that means in the digital sphere, but for me, that's always meant working with people, thinking about what people's experiences are like when they come into the museum and making it the best it could be. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a really great job, and like I don't know, you when you can really like connect with people that come into the museum, it's like it's it's really special. Um, mm -hmm. So. 
what what type of artwork does the Rubin have? Sure. So the Rubin is a Himalayan art museum. Wow. So, <laughs> <Surprise>. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> knew too much about that, but so it focuses on, you know, art from the Himalayan region and um, more specifically, a lot of the work is Buddhist and, you know, has various religious aspects to it tied to meditation. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite places in the world and, uh, I mean, Himalayan art, uh, for me is like, I, th- when I think back on it, like that's really what kind of brought me into getting specifically into Tibetan Buddhism, because when I first, uh, went to Bhutan, I just like loved being in the temples and just like being surrounded by all this artwork. And I was just like, wow, what does all this mean? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. cause that's, what's so cool about it too, is, you know, it's all religious artwork and it has a very intense, uh, iconography. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like a really like a visual vocabulary that, uh, is really fun to learn and sort of decode and has layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's, there's the inner meaning, the secret meaning, the outer meaning. And the, and the super secret meaning too. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that one. <laughs> Don't forget. And that's like, I don't know, that's mm-hmm. in general like why I've always found, uh, you know, Tibetan Buddhism to be so fascinating because it is just like so deep and endless in, a, in terms of researching it. You know, it's just... It's just, uh, it's mm-hmm. more, it's more than just a can of worms. It's like, you know, it's like a whole ocean of worms or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, ocean of sea worms. Yeah. Ocean of, mm-hmm. of sea worms and mm-hmm. suffering and mm-hmm. well, no, you know, but of course <laughs> un- underneath the suffering lies, you know, uh, just, just bliss. No big deal. No mm-hmm. big deal. Um, so, you know, for every, those of you listening, to be frank, this is the second time where we've attempted this doing this podcast. <laughs> we came on so strong with such high energy, and now it's snowstorm time, and we're yeah. a little more relaxed, a little uh, more chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, f- uh, forgive us if this if the first part seems a little rote because I've already asked <laughs> Kayla these questions, but uh, I'm gonna I go. I feel with like it. my answer was better this time, though. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a good answer. It was Thank solid. You. <laughs> uh, yeah, that tour guide experience is really coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, but last time when we tried to do the podcast, we had talked a bit about this new show that's opening up at the Rubin called Awakened, right? Yeah, it's called Awaken, um, a Tibetan Buddhist journey toward enlightenment. And I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a really different presentation of the kind of traditional art that we have. Um, Right now, our galleries really focus on, you know, what Jeremy and I were talking about before, like learning how to decode the artwork, like understand certain symbols, understand the movement of this art throughout time and its political connotations and religious connotations, the relationships between different areas and different time periods and how that changed the way the art looks. And those are all great. And I love those shows. <laughs> but this new show is going to be like almost a little bit new agey in its presentation. It's going to kind of take you through and really show you, you know, what does it mean to be awake? You know, the idea of Buddha meaning awake and then 
moving on from there to this jumping point of how can you go through this idea of a journey, through this idea of enlightenment. So it really takes kind of what we attempt to show on our permanent collection, and I feel like really shows that in action and in like journey or an experience for the people who come in. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that does sound really cool. Um, <laughs> it it kind of sounds like um, akin to um, the psychedelic experience, uh, <laughs> the book, uh, and mm-hmm. the experience, I guess, too. <laughs> but um, which book? Uh, uh, the psychedelic experience is the book that was written um, by Timothy Leary and then <laughs> oh, right. uh, Ram Das, and it was like their interpretation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Hmm. Um, and, How have I never heard of this? That's so cool. Yeah, All my faves. No, I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I, have you ever seen those crazy pictures? Okay, I hope I'm not completely making this up. But have you seen those crazy pictures of that house that he had upstate? Am I thinking of the right person? Wait, cra- oh, yeah. Crazy pictures of what? The Hitchcock estate. Have you ever seen it? Oh, you have oh, to look yeah, this yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've looked at it. Yeah. It's like the mm-hmm. crazy mansion that they like painted all the psychedelic colors, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has like eyes on it. But it's like this weird old Victorian style building upstate that they were you know hanging out in and making drugs in and doing drugs in and you know all sorts of crazy things but the house is just like such weird crazy energy i love looking at the picture i think it's sold recently which is why i found out about it yeah someone bought it like last year you didn't buy it I can't disclose the buyer <laughs> for legal reasons. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, but my five hundred one c three will, you know, announce shortly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, you know, let me know, and then we could go up and uh, have a party. Um, but I mean, so I mean, Timothy Leary is. I don't know. I kind of view him as a bit of a dick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have the same feeling. But I don't know. I mean, I've I've heard some other in- recent interpretations of him late re- recently. I don't know. He's been popping up like this whole past week for me, and that hmm. like, um, and I mean to, to say he is, you know, psychedelics. The history of of Buddhism in America is like very deeply entwined with the history of psychedelics. Oh, for sure. Um, and, you know, if you talk to a lot of American and Western Buddhists, you know, they'll say that like a big, big chunk of them, maybe I don't know about a majority, but a large percentage of them will say that, you know, they're kind of their introduction into, you know, beginning their spiritual journey was, you know, a psychedelic trip. Mm-hmm. Um but I was listening to this guy, uh, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, this guy, Jason Louvre. Mm. Um, have you heard of him? No, I haven't. He's like a, um, he was a journalist for Vice, but now he's, he's like an actually like a magic teacher, like a Western occult magic teacher. Um, mm. And, but he has a, he has a deep knowledge and like clearly a deep respect for Tibetan Buddhism. So like. <laughs> so that's like got me on board with him but he was talking about timothy leary and how timothy leary 
in a way i don't know it was like more he's he was really like kind of a trickster you know and a comedian mm-hmm. and like kind of that you know a lot of people blame him i mean i've said this before in that like you know that uh i blame timothy leary for holding back you know psychedelic research that uh you know now that we're just getting into you know in the past decade or so there's been that resurgence but mm-hmm. um I don't know. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe he had his place, um, mm-hmm. you know. How do you feel about, not to interrupt you, but about, um, like, recent psychedelic research? Because I, I feel so glad that it's happening again, but there is that sort of, like, nervous encroaching about, like, how big pharma will take it on. I don't know. I see startups that <laughs> yeah. say they're, like, working with shrooms, and I'm like, I'm not down for that. But yeah. I don't yeah. want you to own any sort of chemical breakdowns of, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. And I mean, I do have a, like a lot of thoughts on it and, mm-hmm. uh, but more from a personal side in that <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess here we go. Me coming out of the psychedelic closet, as they say, you know, I, (laughs) I have done psychedelics and, um, so my mom will love to hear that, but, uh, (laughs) here we go. So yes, I've done, I've done psychedelics and I really enjoyed them, uh, for a while. Mm Um, and right when I was getting into psychedelics, it was like, this research was starting to happen again. And I was like Mm -hmm. super pumped and I was like, yeah, you know, like, you know, like acid and shrooms are going to save everybody, you know, and, uh, it's going to be great. Um, and then, you know, years later, uh, you know, it took a few years, but years later, like, and funny enough, like around the time I really like started seriously meditating and like really focusing on my Buddhist practice, when I started taking psychedelics, uh, I just started having bad times. I, I was having bad trips. And, you know, I used to like pride myself in being like the person that would like always keep their cool, uh, you know, but I just started, yeah, you know, having like really bad anxiety. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, it's in, so I, I haven't done it, uh, you know, in a few years now. And so it's mm-hmm. just interesting for me how, like, now it's become a thing where people are like, oh, I'm using it to treat, you know, my depression or, mm-hmm. you know, my mental issues. But for me, it just like has not really been a solution for that. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, the meditation and Buddhist practice has, uh, been, been much better, uh, in terms Mm -hmm. of of coping with like depression and anxiety, uh, than psychedelics ever has for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you bring that up because I think it's so important to talk about. And I think there are like different levels of how people talk about this and like they don't really like we still as a culture don't really talk about drug use so openly Mm -hmm. I feel like when it really comes down to the personal experience of it and Mm -hmm. so it can be very easy to just like play up the benefits of drugs if you're going to comfortably talk about 
doing illegal drugs at all. And I think, like, it's more nuanced than that. I've had a similar experience to you where, especially during this year in COVID, like, I was taking drugs that I felt were helping with my depression and then eventually, like, realized that it had led to a breakdown for me and my partner. We both kind of had, like, lost touch with reality. And he actually ended up having a manic episode. And so... I just think we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't talk about like how that can happen. And I I don't think that like his medical response that was really much different than mine. I think I also was not present and was not where I wanted to be, even though I thought it was helping. So yeah, I see what you're saying. All right. Uh, So... We had more technical difficulties, <laughs> but Kayla has informed me that she has a wonderful transition from oh, our previous yes. topic, uh, to uh, which is psychedelics, to our next topic. Yes, I think I think it'll be quite perfect. Okay, great. Which is to say, again, um, I yeah, I, I'm I'm not trying to be narc. I think everybody should do whatever they want, but <laughs> <laughs> I and obviously I have done what I want, but I think that like everybody's brain is different and one thing that I think is so important about meditation is like learning what your brain does and your patterns and learning to be aware of that. And um, I know you said your parents, you know, don't know that you do psychedelics. I don't know if my dad would love for me to share this story. <laughs> but um, so my dad, my parents both converted to Buddhism when I was a kid. And um, my dad apparently was taking or before I was a kid. And then I was sort of raised Buddhist. But apparently my dad um, had been taking a lot of mushrooms, like very often. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... Um, his teacher, who is like this amazing Tibetan man, um, was like, I need to see what this is about. You know, all my students seem to be really into this. They oh, yeah. say like Rinpoche, Rinpoche, it's very similar to like what we're trying to do. You should try it. So he tried it. <laughs> and after he came out of, you know, his day by himself, figuring out what it was all about, he said to my father, if you keep doing this, you're going to be reincarnated as a temple dog. Like <laughs> you, you think you think that this is helping you, but it's not. And then to my friend's mom, who I love very dearly, but who's like not as loosey goosey as my dad, he said, mm-hmm. "Dina, you could stand to do a little more." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, so everybody's brain is different, and a lot of that older generation too is coming to meditation in the same way oh yeah no it's like so many of them and it's uh like yeah i mean like i don't know just former people i worked with for like the study abroad program like they're like well Mm -hmm. i was like really into the dead and then i got into tibetan buddhism and i'm like yeah okay (laughs) like yeah i i i know i see what's going on here but yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah maybe you could talk a little bit about that so like that's well who was your dad's teacher do you um his name is Chagdu Rinpoche okay um he what he has um a couple of um centers now there's one 
which um like my sort of introduction to buddhism besides you know whatever kind of values my parents tried to show to me was we would go to his center which is in northern california as Mm -hmm. most of them (laughs) are um but like in the middle yeah in the middle of the trinity alps like in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. um and it's called riggs and ling Mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful place um and then later in his life, he actually moved to Brazil and his like largest center that there are still a lot of people teaching his wife who became sort of like his one of his spiritual successors still leads that place, mm. Chagdud Kadro. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they had, <laughs> it's a very funny story, actually. I think I feel like my parents introduction to Buddhism is more interesting than my own honestly so I do think that there's I I think there's like a I think it's very interesting to be a second generation American Buddhist yeah no it is really interesting and like like white American Buddhists I'm Mm -hmm. talking about because Mm -hmm. like obviously there are plenty of other different types of Buddhists in the U.S. and I think that's something that we forget about a lot Mm mm-hmm You know, there's not just Tibetan Buddhism alone and like there's lots of Buddhist communities of different generations. But I feel like something I observed in my own community was, yeah, this first like initial fervor of these hippie parents from the 80s. And then like this weird pressure on like me and the people around me to be that next generation Mm -hmm. and there's like a lot of inspiration and like passion behind that. And like, like we used to go to that center every year and we lived in Vermont and it's not because we had the money to travel, but because like anonymous donors in the community, like thought it was really important that like any families with kids went to the center, yeah. like no matter where they were. So we would get like a vacation to California <laughs> every year because it was so important to these people to spread Buddhism. Mm hmm to a generation of Americans, which I think is so interesting. And I think it's like very unique at each center too, kind of like what happened and how that flame like continues or leaves. Mm, yeah. Which I think is really interesting. Like the center that I like love Riggs and Ling is very different now from how it was when we were kids and when the teacher was still alive mm. um, because there's sort of some tensions with his different, western successors and how they chose to continue his legacy one of his really important students was in retreat when he passed and didn't want to come out of retreat to lead the community Hmm. um whereas i've visited other centers that you know the community that i was part of have like gone to explore now that they don't feel as tied to the original center. Mm-hmm. And one one center that I went to, Tachi Sholing, which is in, um, I hope I don't get this wrong, in Oregon. It's so beautiful and so different. Like the main people who live at the center and upkeep it are actually like those kids who are in those pictures from the 90s of like... Oh, yeah the older hippie generation like all wearing maroon and the tiny kids running around yeah, yeah. and now those kids are like the umse which if you don't know is the chant master mm-hmm. um and the other ritual master and they know how to make torma and they do all of these different like tibetan buddhist rituals that they've been doing their whole lives and it's really important to them to keep that legacy of that center 
Whereas what happened at the center I was at was so different in that, like, I think it's finding its footing more now, but none of us and some of my friends who were part of that community were raised there Mm -hmm. at the center and they don't live there anymore. Like it would be bittersweet and difficult for them to go back, but there's been a flowering of like a new community there. And I wonder like, are there new kids being raised there now? Like, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting because we are really in the midst of seeing Buddhism evolve. Uh, you know, we are of like the first generations of, of mm-hmm. American Buddhists. And, you know, if mm-hmm. you studied Buddhist history, you know that it like really does a very good job of actually adapting to each like particular mm-hmm. culture that it moves into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, we were really, you know, we're in the first hundred years of, of it taking root, um, in, in the West and in America. So mm-hmm. we are going to see, you know, we're these changes and these evolutions. And I guess like the thing that's, I find so fascinating <clears throat> still is like, You know, pretty much any Buddhist center you go to Mm -hmm. is still, like, very much tied to, like, a particular Asian culture, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, all the centers that you're talking about are Tibetan. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the ones I go to are Tibetan. And, uh, you know, but generally, you know, most of them are, like, you know, there'll be a Vietnamese or like, you know, Vietnamese Zen or like Japanese Mm -hmm. Zen or like Chinese, you know, or Pure Land, which is generally Japanese. Yeah. Japanese. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. So again, it's like, we're just starting to see the transmission of, of Buddhism Mm -hmm. through the West. So it's still evolving. It's still changing. And I just wonder it's, it's, it was fascinating to me that you were saying, like, you know, these kids are like these, uh, you know, American, I'm assuming white kids, mm-hmm. you know, are doing these very specific Tibetan rituals. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I mean, as again, as somebody who loves Tibetan Buddhism and I do like love mm-hmm. the aesthetics of it, I love how it looks, I love the mm-hmm. rituals of it. I mean, I just had this very... You know, I have this moment when I was in my retreat or my teaching, uh, that an initiation mm-hmm. and like, you know, I'd go to these, you know, go to the temple every day. And like, before we get into any teachings, it was like, you know, chanting the heart sutra and like all these other Tibetan chants for like mm-hmm. 45 minutes. And I was like, yeah, this is like, I like this. This is cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm down. Mm-hmm. But like. I mean, I also don't really feel like it's teaching me Dharma. And I just wonder, like, do people, I th- I, like, are people getting too wrapped up in these very specific cultural practices? Because it's like Torma, even like Torma, for those mm-hmm. of you who don't know, like Torma are these essentially like these butter sculptures that are made as offering to on tibetan shrines and like that's like a tibetan thing like you know it's not Mm -hmm. really a buddhist thing and so i just wonder like i just wonder about that like like, yeah like yeah i think there's i think that this is like a really rich question and it's it's something that like definitely upon any approaching 
of this topic. I mean, even when I start to say like, like what is Western Buddhism or what is American Buddhism? Like we have to remember that there are different conversations happening about appropriation, about all of these different ways that people might be exoticizing things. But then again, on the other hand, we're also talking about a religion that, you know, like Christianity aims to be missionary, like aims to believe that it's truth is the truth and anyone should become connected to the practices and do them. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there isn't like a specific answer to your question and there isn't a specific answer to any of these questions for me because I think it's just so varied. Like I think, I think on one hand, like practices that have been done for hundreds of years, like if someone thinks that they're beautiful, even if it's not their tradition, but they feel connected to it and the person who taught them thinks it's beautiful, that they're interested in it and that it's an important way of teaching it, then I think it's perfectly fine and important in how somebody finds their way to the Dharma. Like... I'm fine with that. You know, yeah. some people might say like, oh, that's not okay. That's weird. That's appropriative. I don't, I don't necessarily think that. Yeah. And on the other hand, yeah, I think there's this really interesting moment happening like in Western, you know, especially white Buddhism right now where it's like, well, what is important? I don't know. When I was a kid, You know, my parents just in general wanted me to be really comfortable with religion, which is interesting because I don't know how religious they feel now. But Mm. like I also went to temple and I chanted in Hebrew Mm -hmm. and I still know like the mourner's Kaddish. I know the Shema. I know all these different things. I can read Hebrew. I can't understand it, but I can sound it out. Mm -hmm. And what purpose does that have? I mean, I think there was a time when I was in college where I was like, wow, actually my temple was just super Zionist. And they were trying to teach me like through the supremacy of language that like, I should believe that Israel should exist, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, that's a whole other thing. Like that's, that's a whole other can of worms they're opening. But like, so I'm just saying like, I think I think like original language is really beautiful and works in any, in many different forms. And for some people like, and this is what one of the teachers that I like says too, um, like if, if something sounds more beautiful and appealing to you in one form, like learn that form and do it right. Mm-hmm. But also like he, I really like him cause he, like when I've gone to teachings with him in the past, he presents the text in a bunch of different versions like it'll have the transliteration it'll have the tibetan for anyone who can read tibetan Mm -hmm. it'll also have the english translation Mm -hmm. and they'll chant all of them Mm -hmm. and so it's like he doesn't believe that like you should just be chanting the heart sutra in the original language and not understand what it means right but he's also like this is beautiful and has a purpose and has a melody that like the translation does not have. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think like that's where I stand on all those kinds of things. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I guess not to say that it's like, you know, it's bad or it's good, but it's just like, I think it's good to be aware of it. And like, mm-hmm. and I mean, 
you know, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of like getting people into the Dharma and like getting people into the path. Cause like I've talked about that with my experience and it was like, yeah, like I was like, you know, when I was in high school, I was like reading like dumb, like new agey shit about, <laughs> like, about this stuff and like, you know, mm -hmm. very surface level, like, you know, you know, like, well, like make mindfulness stuff. Uh, as mm -hmm. they would say. <laughs> and that's the outer meaning and yeah. it's sexy and it's fun, but like, does it mean very much like, no, yeah. And like, <laughs> like outer, outer, not even outer. Yeah. And it would, but it was like through that, that like, you know, it got me into, into Buddhism. Like, you know, I was like, is this really what it's about? And, you know, and then I like peeled back the layers. So like, and that, of course, in the traditional Buddhist, uh, that's a, uh, like the definition of compassion right there. That's really when Buddhists mm -hmm. talk about compassion, it's actually like what doing something to get somebody to follow the path, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or get them to go further down the path. So, mm -hmm. So all that new age bullshit, um, <laughs> you know, it turned out to be somebody was being compassionate to me, I guess, mm -hmm. without, without them uh, even knowing it. So um, it's all causes and conditions. It's all it's all <laughs> causes and conditions. It's all it's all karma. It's mm. It's all empty. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all void. Um, but yeah, that's so that was really a fantastic, you know, I think explanation and, uh, you know, just see you explaining your thoughts about, you know, being a second generation, uh, mm -hmm. American Buddhist. Uh, and yeah, I just, I just really appreciate your insight, um, into that because again, it is like, you know, it's, it's a new, it's a new and exciting thing. You know, we're, we're mm -hmm. transmitting the Dharma to the West. It's like, <laughs> It's pretty cool. I mean, like, again, it's like in Buddhism, Buddhism does have that missionary appeal. It's like, you know, that's, um, you know, that's that's the goal is, is mm -hmm. spread the Dharma. Um, but with that being said, you know, you don't have to be a Buddhist to, to follow along with my meditations. And, you know, generally when I do teach, I'm not teaching, you know, uh, I teach secular, secular mindfulness, but just very much informed with you know, the traditional Buddhist background. Um, but yeah, so uh, you feel up to leading a meditation for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, awesome. So, so yeah, go for it. <laughs> I'm going to really quickly go get this book of mine that I want to talk a little bit about okay. kind of where I'm coming from with what I'm doing. Cool. I forgot that I left it in the other room, so I'll just be back really fast. All right, no problem. Hey, I'm back. All right. So <laughs> I think like we're saying about psychedelics and like we're also saying about meditation, <laughs> you have to, you know, learn what works for you mm -hmm. and, learn, you know, learn what you need out of something and what your brain appeals to and is looking for. And I think when we start to become more interested in Buddhism there's a huge wealth of make mindfulness, like random shit. Like mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of crap out there. And another thing that, you know, maybe is a very inherited Tibetan feeling that I have about this kind of thing, but like you need to understand the importance of 
finding things from a good source and learning from a really good teacher. Yeah. So that is to say that I would not <laughs> call myself one. and I would not feel comfortable taking a huge position of authority here, but I'm going to be trying something tonight that really works for me and I really love. Um, and I'm also going to give you some context for where I get this from. Um, because I think if you're interested in it or you feel it works for you, you can find these resources. So I was first introduced to this kind of meditation that I'll be leading tonight, which is called Tonglen or sending and taking through Pema Chodron. And I think she's a really great teacher who I think does a really good job of hitting in a particular blend of staying very true to what she's learned from more traditional sources and also trying to break things down into terms that might appeal to us, especially in an American culture. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about grief, attachment, anger towards each other, selfishness, like individualism. I mean, when we think about our culture, American culture is such a uniquely disgusting individualist (laughs) culture um so i think i think she's really great for that and then um i've also been not practicing so much recently but i have you know through the miracles of zoom joined my community that i grew up with again in rereading um this one book change of heart which is written by my teacher chagdu toku so it's called change of heart the bodhisattva peace training and it's compiled by one of his main students and um it basically goes through i mean you were talking about doing your buddhist retreat it goes through a lot of that basic very like Tibetan would consider like very intro training into how to work up to anything bigger. Mm. And the idea that the thing you need to start with, first of all, is pure motivation, Mm. compassion, um, equanimity, really focusing on cultivating loving kindness towards others, understanding. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting a little abstract here. I think I should just start with the term bodhisattva, (laughs) which is um, which is someone who is chosen um, to seek enlightenment for the benefit of all sentient beings. So the idea that your enlightenment would not be a selfish extinguishing from the cycle of karma, but that you would commit to being tied to the cycle of karma until everyone was freed from it. And so these basic practices are supposed to be what you would do before you would learn any more complicated sort of meditation, um, like guru yoga or anything further than that. You'd really need to make sure that your motivation was pure. And I've found that really beautiful. So Mm -hmm. the meditation Tonglin that we'll be practicing is really an equanimity exercise in trying to really broaden your connection to others, move away from individualism. Um, And I find it to be really soothing. It's something that I can do really easily. If I feel like I'm seeing someone suffering and I can't help, this always makes me feel better, especially during the pandemic when I felt so isolated or disconnected from other people. This reminds me, this kind of meditation, um, that, you know, everyone suffers and everyone just wants to be happy so 
how are we going to practice Tonglen? Again, Tonglen means taking and sending. And in this practice, we're going to focus on our breath as many meditations do, but specifically we're going to focus on the in-breath and the out-breath. And as we breathe in, we'll visualize taking in the pain of others. And as we breathe out, we'll focus on sending them peace, joy, happiness, whatever they need in that moment. And as we do this, you'll find it's really quite difficult <laughs> to do. It's, like I said, not in our culture to be more than radically individualist than thinking about your own happiness and your own suffering. So we'll start really small because and actually focus on ourselves first and then extend to others as we continue the meditation. Because, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, you know, a very non-Buddhist RuPaul moment, like you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anyone else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there is that idea yeah, the of great, like, the great Buddhist master. <laughs> yes, exactly. But that that's an important function of this too, is if, we start with ourselves, it will make it easier to build up to even at the very end of the meditation, thinking about people we don't feel connected to, either people very far away from us, people who we have tensions with, people we hate, people who just irritate us for some reason. We can't ex explain why. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I. Cool. Yeah. Um, do you have a time that you wanted to take this for? Uh, let's, let's say 10 minutes. Okay, great. So I will go ahead and ring the bell. So as I mentioned before, I'm going to repeat again. So on our in-breath, we're visualizing pain and suffering and taking that in and then with that out breath, we're dissolving it, we're transforming it into compassion. So we're gonna start just by feeling our breath in our own body. And just start very simply with breathing in and noticing where is there pain and discomfort in your body in the position that you're in? Are you a little sore from activity today, walking around, maybe on your feet? maybe sitting slumped on your computer like I've been doing. Your back could use a little breath. So as you're breathing in, just sensing, noting that pain. And as you're breathing out, sending that breath to it and dissolving it. that we've started to feel more at home in our position that we're sitting in and our breath. We'll continue to focus on our breath and think back over the day, any irritations that you had, any frustrations, any painful experiences. And breathe in, recognize that moment. And then as you breathe out, 
you let it go, you'll send yourself comforting forgiveness, peace from that stress, frustration, discomfort. As we continue to breathe, we'll extend that out from ourselves. Again, breathing in, acknowledging pain, breathing out, dissolving that pain and sending peace and love. And extend that to someone you care for deeply, someone who it's easy to feel that way about, even if they sometimes get to you. In this case, my cat just clawed the couch and jumped all over my computer, which you might have heard. So I think it's pretty easy to love her. I'm going to send her some love and some relief from any discomfort. Thinking of your friends family members, if you have a good relationship, thinking of their stresses, holding those, acknowledging them, pulling them in with your breath, and then with that transformational power, breathing out peace, comfort, joy for them. Again, on that in-breath, breathing in pain, as that breath reaches inside you, magically transforming that pain into peace, love, comfort. As we begin to relish in that feeling of comforting those we love, sending them love, we'll extend out even further and challenge our imaginations to those who we don't know. Did you see somebody on the subway today who looked like they were having a bad time? Do you know how many people are cold tonight, hungry tonight? If you're in New York City like we are, can you just even imagine the pain of the people in the same building as you you've never talked to? Breathe in that pain of the day-to-day -day of being human. Breathe out comfort, 
relaxation, whatever that person needs in that moment, you can give that to them in this breath, ease their comfort, maybe warmth from the cold, a feeling of fullness if you're hungry. Again, breathing in, imagining that weight, breathing out, it's transformed, it dissolves. If it helps your visualization, perhaps you can feel the energy of that breath shooting out as a white light, pure and rainbow radiating out of you with each out breath, spreading across the city or the town, or the wilderness, I'm not sure where you are. And that light reaches all sentient beings, strangers, friends, animals. And that breath in pulls all of their suffering away. And you transform it into peace comfort, happiness. And Gaelic Rinpoche leads this teaching on the in-breath, he simply says, I wish everyone to be free from suffering. And on the out-breath, I wish everyone happiness. And we'll repeat that a couple times now internally with our breath. I wish for everyone to be free from suffering. I wish everyone happiness. Now, friends and strangers are one thing, but can you extend this same compassion to someone who's hurt you, who's wronged you? Bring someone to your mind now who is not as easy to love. Maybe it's just a small annoyance that happened recently, or maybe someone you have a difficult relationship with, or maybe I don't know, a political character that you see as a villain. 
for me, I'm going to be wishing happiness to Beza's awful marble head. Because in this teaching, this idea at the heart of it is that when we act in confusion and cause suffering and the suffering begets further delusion and we harm each other, but with this meditation, with this compassion, we can learn not to hurt each other and not cause more suffering. So we'll bring in this person's suffering as difficult and uncomfortable as it is to imagine. And we'll breathe it out and transform it into pure compassion. We'll do that for just a couple more breaths. last 10 breaths will conjure that image of white light again and send this compassion as far as you can send it to everyone you can think of friend or foe or stranger I wish everyone was free from suffering. I wish everyone could be happy. And having reached that tenth breath, we'll end our meditation there. After I practice, um, I've always been taught to dedicate the merit that we've generated today. And I think the prayer that I learned and grew up with is particularly just poetic and beautiful. So if that's all right, I'd love to read it. Yeah, sure. So this is from, again, Chagdud Tulku Rinpoche's various teachings. And the dedication prayer goes thus. Throughout my many lives and until this moment, whatever virtue I've accomplished, including the merit generated by this practice and all that I will ever attain, this I offer for the welfare of sentient beings. May sickness, war, famine, and suffering be decreased for every being, while their wisdom and compassion increase in this and every future life. May I clearly perceive all experiences 
to be as insubstantial as the dream fabric of the night, and instantly awaken to perceive the pure wisdom display in the arising of every phenomenon. May I quickly attain enlightenment in order to work ceaselessly for the liberation of all sentient beings. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Thank you for practicing with me today. And that was, uh, yeah, that was really lovely. Um, Thanks, Jeremy. I'm always impressed. The the thing I, I always think about when I do meditations like this is, you know, I generally don't do i don't know i mm-hmm. tonglen um and i mean i practice uh loving kindness mm-hmm. somewhat which is similar it's similar <clears throat> a little mm-hmm. different but similar and you know i was always hesitant about doing these practices cuz i was always like oh it just sounds so like too woo woo in a way you know but <laughs> oh yeah like, definitely you're, like you're like you know bring in the negative you know bring mm-hmm. you know, send out the love you know yeah <laughs> i know right yeah I, um and but when you actually try it and again also the other thing i think it's like it kind of feels like you're fooling yourself mm-hmm. you're like you know you're like oh like yeah i'm not really <laughs> sucking up the city's pain and transforming it in my body and sending (laughs) out pure white light. But the thing that I find profound about these meditations is that they also, they really do for me at least have a very profound and noticeable physical effect in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where the benefit comes from uh, with doing these meditations is the, is the effects that you feel in your body. I mean, like already Mm -hmm. now I feel more, well, more connected and also just more soft, you know, mm. in a in a in a great way, you know. I mean, I think most of us are pretty rigid when uh, when we go about our lives, and and to you know have a little softness in your musculature <laughs> is uh, is very good, and actually is kind of the thing I've been focusing on for the past mm-hmm. year and a half in my other uh practice called bioenergetics um which is mind body based therapy which i'll be talking a lot more about that (laughs) in the future (laughs) don't you i'd be very interested to hear more about that yeah i mean i think i think it's interesting that this is you know it can be very woo woo i think and it is a very preliminary practice and it, it works for some people for others maybe it feels too corny or not right but for me having something to focus on very literally in each half of my breath keeps me from getting distracted Mm -hmm. and also I think it's I think it's preliminary in another sense too of like I might think it's cooler to get to the point where you can do guru yoga and visualize yourself as a deity but like what does a deity do like compassion is a superpower that you're working up to try and have so in a sense, this is imagining yourself as capable of, I don't know, beautiful righteousness that I wish I could give everyone every day. But no, I'm really grumpy and <laughs> I was really mad at a bunch of different people today yeah. <laughs> who did nothing to me except 
be a FedEx station instead of a UPS station, which yeah. is my own fault. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> How dare they? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it is like, again, like, yeah, it feels a little woo-woo, but like it's, it's, yeah, compassion, especially in the Buddhist sense, compassion, you know, is power. You know, um, it's it's very much equated like, you know, it's literally compassion is power. And, you know, again, compassion, too, is always like it's an action. It's not a passive thing. It's always an active mm -hmm. thing. Um, so, you know, fostering that feeling uh, is, you know, fundamental to uh, to Buddhism, um, mm -hmm. particularly in Tibetan Buddhism. They, a lot of emphasis on it so mm -hmm. so thank you for uh you know again leading the meditation and for mm -hmm. providing some variety from you know people from just listening to me drone on about i'll <laughs> you place your attention back on your breath you know <laughs> anyway um but uh kayla thank you so much for being here and talking with me today i thought this was awesome um but thank before, you jeremy I had a great time before we go uh is there anything in particular you'd like to plug or anybody you'd want to shout out or any, any <laughs> last any any last words this people? is honestly the part of the podcast i was most nervous about because i got off social media this year and i, oh. I don't have any anything i'm promoting online at all and i felt like i would sound again very woo woo <laughs> by saying that um but i guess maybe i would just plug this book i think it's been really interesting for oh, me what's the book again Did yeah it's called change of heart the bodhisattva peace training of chagdu tolku mm -hmm. and it's just i mean maybe it's just a particular thing for me and our community being connected to this teacher but having gone away from this you know in the past couple of years and felt like it was very woo -woo and not understanding why other friends of mine felt so connected to it coming back to it and just reading this really simple breakdown of first of all you need to set your intention like first of all you need to care about other people like that's mm -hmm. blowing my mind right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> these very like simple details and I think thinking about how I go about the day in these very small measured ways has been very beneficial to me and so I hope hope you check it out yeah, I mean, I also look at Timothy Leary's house, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I th and that's really what I think you know the practice mm -hmm. is all about. It's like you know, as I've said before, it's you know, being you know on the meditation pad is like it's supposed to prep you for your everyday life. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it's not supposed to be separate from from it. Um, so I think. Yeah, thank you for reminding us all that, you know, <laughs> that this this can be something, you know, of course, it's good to have a formalized mm -hmm. practice, but, it, you know, you can kind of like dip into your practice throughout the day, you know, like you can always take a few Tonglen breaths, you know, like mm -hmm. um, if, uh, yeah, if somebody annoys you at work, you know, <laughs> they leave and they're like, <laughs> I definitely have done that before. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, it's it's something it's something that's always there for you. And particularly mm -hmm. with like, you know, something as simple as just 
visualizing and with your breath, you can do it and no one would ever know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, thanks. Thanks again, Kayla. Uh, Thank you for being here. And uh, for everybody out there, uh, you know, stay mindful and (laughs) (laughs) stay warm, everybody. Do drugs if you want to. Yeah. (laughs) Meditate. Stay out of the snow. (laughs) Meditate. Do drugs only if you want to. But don't don't feel like you have to meditate. Mm-hmm. You do have to meditate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, and stay warm. Fundamentally, the the biggest mm-hmm. thing. But uh, yeah, thanks everyone. See you next thanks, time. Thanks, Jeremy. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. This has been another episode of Meditating with Friends. If you enjoyed this podcast. Check out my Instagram at Jeremy McMindfulness 